Hi, everybody. It's Bean, and welcome to an all-new episode of Great Moments in Weed History. I am thrilled to kick this one off with a high five to our friends in Maryland and Missouri who just voted to legalize cannabis for all adults in those two states and end weed arrests in those two states and move us ever closer to the end of cannabis prohibition everywhere on planet Earth and... Let's call it an even higher high five for our friends in Colorado who legalized psilocybin mushrooms. Mm-hmm. That's a great moment in psychedelic history and one that I think will have a profound impact across the country and around the world as we continue to provide access to these very useful natural plant medicines. I know that it's one that I enjoy both recreationally and therapeutically. Can't wait to see what happens in Colorado and let's make this happen everywhere else. Quick programming note, Abdullah is still, say it with me, on hiatus, but we hope to have him back with us soon. In the meantime, he's working on a very high-profile project right now, so it's all good news. In the meantime, couldn't be more excited that our guest this week is the brilliant comedian, musician, and improviser Reggie Watts. More on Reggie in a little bit, but if you're wondering if he's one of us, I gotta let you know his first ever album that he put out was called Pot Cookies. So needless to say, a very weedy interview. For more on comedy and cannabis cookies, check out our episode in the Great Moments in Weed History archive with John Flynn, who is the author of the hilarious memoir Baked which recounts his countless adventures as the unofficial in-house weed cookie dealer at the legendary Upright Citizens Brigade Improv Theater in New York City during its glory years. So that's a fun one to go back and check out if you haven't heard it already. While I'm making recommendations, I also want to let everyone know about a new comedy special coming out from friend of the podcast, Billy Wayne Davis. Really, really funny comedian, somebody who also runs a podcast called Grown Local with the tagline, meet the people who supply your high. So again, our kind of person doing our kind of humor. I had a chance recently to hang out with Billy Wayne up in Humboldt County when he was performing at the Savage Henry Comedy Club. Abdullah and I have also done some live shows at. We're big supporters of that whole scene. And Billy Wayne and I joint forces the following night to do a benefit show for the Mateel Center in Southern Humboldt. That was a really special night. 
I moderated a panel with a bunch of OG growers, including Agnes Patak, who was a guest on this program to talk about how the growers up in Humboldt used to basically spy on the police and started a whole radio station called KMUD, Community Supported, to warn people when the cops were coming, whether by car or by van or by helicopter. That was decades ago, and that station is still going strong. We had an incredible evening up in Humboldt, and Billy Wayne closed it out with his uh, inimitable comedic stylings. If you want to hear all about that trip to Humboldt and a lot more, you got to join us on Patreon, because that's where I'm doing the secret sesh every other weed or every other week if you're a bit more literal of a person. So, great moments in weed history every other week on this podcast feed where you're hearing me right now. But if you want the Weedly Show once a weed on Weedness Day, uh, you've got to join us on Patreon. So you can check that out at Great Moments in Weed History. Dot com For as little as $1 a month, you will get access to every weekly episode in video format. You see me waving at you right now. Thank you so much to all of our current supporters on Patreon. You are giving us life. That's uh, about the best way I can put it. We are so grateful for your support, and I love the community vibe that is building every week on Patreon. You could put five on it if you want to support this show even more. And for just a bit more, you can get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot Properly, delivered right to your door. You might have been doing it improperly this whole time. I kind of doubt it. We're a pretty tight weed crew. But until you get the book, you really won't know. So Please, in all seriousness, we live off your support. We are shadow banned in every format. We are uh, attacked by every force of prohibition. And we need your, wait for it, grassroots support to keep this show going. And you can do that and get a lot of cool bonus benefits by visiting us at Great Moments in Weed History. Now, for this week's guest, I'm dipping back into my personal interview archive once again for a really fascinating conversation with Reggie Watts. As I mentioned, his first comedy album was called Pot Cookies. He is somebody who is an unabashed uh, promoter of cannabis as a creative tool, which is something that I'm really fascinated by. I feel like we've pushed the conversation around the medicinal benefits of this plant to a place where most people understand how helpful it can be in alleviating so many different kinds of illnesses. We've definitely pushed the conversation about why prohibition is racist and oppressive to the point where any thinking person understands that cannabis needs to be legalized. But I do feel like that third conversation about how cannabis enhances our lives by accessing 
creative spaces. And this is something that Reggie Watts is particularly attuned to discussing because not only is he a comedian and a very accomplished musician and a very unique uh, performer, he's somebody who improvises almost everything he does, including in his multiple comedy specials. His most recent one was called Spatial, and from the moment he stepped on stage, he is improvising the entire performance. That's something that cannabis really, really helps with to create that space in your mind where you can be completely in the moment, where you can take ideas in new and unforeseen directions. We know this as a fact because of some studies on how cannabis affects the brain, but I also really rely on the first-person accounts of people like Reggie Watts, who is at the pinnacle of two different art forms, music and comedy, and uses cannabis very judiciously and very specifically to achieve effects, not just to kind of chill out after the show and not just to come up with ideas before the show, but in the moment while performing. He talks about times when he'll take an edible right as he's going on stage so that he can begin the performance unaffected. He can feel that edible come up, and by the time the show is reaching its Uh, shall we say, peak, he is as well and takes an audience on that journey. I've been lucky enough to see him perform a few times. Really, really love him. You might have seen him as the band leader on a few seasons of Comedy Bang Bang, really popular podcast and IFC show, a huge inspiration to us here at Great Moments in Weed History, by the way. And he is currently in a very okay one more high-profile gig as the band leader on The Late Late Show with James Corden. So this is somebody who is being beamed directly into the homes of people all across the country and all around the world while fully embodying and embracing our weed culture. I think you're going to really, really enjoy the conversation that I had with Reggie. But of course you're probably going to want to be a little bit or a lot of bit blazed for it. That's why I have this pack of our Great Moments in Weed History pre-rolls already. Those of you on our Patreon watching the video version of this podcast can see me sliding out the pack, pulling out a joint. These are currently available in Washington State. Please tell your friends. But of course, maybe what you do need to tell your friends is that, hey, wait, whoa, hey, Bean, I'm not ready. Stop the podcast machine. I'm not high. I don't even have a joint ready to light. And of course, you know what I'm going to say. If you've listened to this show even once before, I'm going to tell you, just chill. Because all you have to do is hit pause and use that time to roll yourself a joint, or to split a blunt, or to pack a bong, or to endabulate a dab. I'm going to figure out how that works one of these days. Or to eat an edible, as our friend 
Reggie Watts likes to do before climbing on stage, or just rub some topicals all over yourself, whatever it's going to take to get you where you want to be, and then hit unpause. And we'll be right here because, as I promise you, every time when you're ready, we'll be ready for another great moment in weed history. I interviewed a guy, Captain Zero. Okay. He just lives on the beach with his dogs now, but he was this big-time marijuana smuggler and surfer. And This quote from him kind of reminded me of your comedy. He said, You almost become molecular when you smoke good ganja, an invisible part of your surroundings. And I thought that really relates in some ways to how you approach comedy. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, it sounds like kind of like... Uh you know, capitalize on this name, like the zero state. Well, how I take that like invisibility or, or kind of blending in is that you can reach an optimal observer state. So the observer state allows you to kind of be open to all possibilities, to channel different possibilities, because then you're, you're not owning the state. You've like surrendered to this kind of zero state. So that's how I come to understand that mm-hmm. quote. Because when you're improvising, you can't really be thinking too much about what you're doing. That's why in general, when people are like, what's your game plan? Uh, what are you thinking about right now? Or like, we've got this thing we want you to do. I'm always like, oh, I don't want to hear about it because I don't want to know until, until I'm actually doing it because that's where I receive all the information. And do you think cannabis helps you hone that instrument? Is it something that is part of your creative process? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, cannabis is an interesting substance. THC, the, I mean, all components of, of cannabis, uh, which I'm glad that you're saying cannabis instead of marijuana, which is the exoticized uh, dark version of it. But um, what I'm interested in or what cannabis does for me when it's the right, the right vibes, right ratios, and because I do edibles, I really have to find the types of edibles that I know will be consistent, the highs will be consistent. Once I find that, um, the state that it puts me in is really nice because I get, as we all do, I get overwhelmed by options coming at me, like a million options constantly. Like, do you want to do this? Are you interested in this? Do you want to be a part of this? Do you, you want to do this? And it's all really good stuff, but it does get overwhelming. And I find that marijuana kind of takes me out of that state a little bit and puts me more in a momentary state, which for being creative is really great for me because it allows me to be more open and take more opportunistic chances. Not to say that I have to be in that state to achieve that, it just reminds me of the state uh, that I am naturally predispositioned to, um, which I think is marijuana's greatest strength. It's to kind of remind you of your childlike innocence and discovery state. And so for me, it's nice. And I experiment with different ratios. I experiment with different strains. I experiment with when I'm doing it, when I'm not doing it. I don't always take it when I perform. I'd say at this point in my life, it's about 50-50. I like to do straight performances. I like to do performances on THC. So it really, it's kind of a constant experimental life relationship that I have with the plant. Well, and if somebody wanted to play like a fun home game, how could they distinguish the 50% where you've had some cannabis uh, and the 50% of your performances where you haven't, what distinguishes them? 
You know, I have friends that I've known for a very long time, and they can't tell when I'm high or not. And I love that because when I'm high, I never want to be like, uh, dude, man. Like, I, I never, to me, that's doesn't make any sense. I, for me, if I'm really high, I want to, I want to use as much energy as possible to normalize myself as much as possible. It's like a form of resistance training. So I try to be able to, like, can I still perform this very complicated task? I mean, nothing that would endanger other human beings, but like if I'm working on something at home and I'm really high, I'm like, okay, suck it up, focus. Can you achieve this very complicated thing in a graceful way that you would have come close to had you not been on the substance or whatever? So in general, I don't think there's a way to know. If I get like really, really high, I'm not going to like stress out about being so normalized. I'll, I'll allow myself to laugh and feel good. For sure, but that's a little rarer. And is there sort of a difference between uh, how you might approach cannabis if you're going to perform or looking to be creative, or is there a way to sort of uh, also use it to sort of shut down and relax and chill, for want of a better word? You know, the thing is, anytime I do cannabis, I actually ask myself, do I want to be doing this? It's not an automatic thing for me. I always think, okay. Now, like, yeah, you know, I think now would be a good time. But I think, like, when I'm at home and I, I want to chill out, I tend to go a little bit bigger sometimes. Sometimes I like to take a really high dose of an edible when I'm at home. Not so high that I get, like, sick and woozy and wavy and all that, the terrible parts of, like, overdosing on it. But just knowing, oh, if I do three of these, I'm going to be really high. So I, do, so I go there because it's a fun time for me to be at home figuring out what I want to do in life or say, you know that thing I've always wanted to do? I'm going to do it right now. You know, whatever it is. And it gets my mind off of the 24-hour news grid and all of all the things that we're constantly uh, faced with. When it comes to uh, performing, it's more like, if I take this now or if I take this during the performance, uh, it should be hitting me by the end of the performance. So I have the beginning of the performance where I'm straight and then I just kind of evolve mm -hmm. into this other place, which can be really fun. I never do, I never, I try not to be high before I perform. So I usually take it right as I'm going on stage, right before, or sometimes I'll bring whatever I'm using on stage and then I'll, I'll do it in front of the audience. And sometimes I've shared before, had like a brownie and I've broken it up and I've like passed it out to people. Yeah, so I'm a little, I guess in general I'm a little bit more ritualistic about it than um, normalizing. I don't believe in normalization. I believe in only utilizing marijuana for exploration discovery yeah i was saying keep pot weird yeah totally man don't normalize that shit it's like well they take all the fun out of it then it becomes a drug you know hunter thompson said the only people who know where the edge is are those who've gone over it have, mm -hmm. have you ever had that experience on stage oh for sure yeah 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 i've definitely been like have negative and positive experiences with that not a lot not a lot negative i've had like maybe three negative experiences of being a little too high on stage where I felt like I overshot. You know, I'm a little bit in space too much. I don't have a reference. Um, so I feel like a little drifty, a little existential on stage, which is not the best feeling. But in general, like, you know, I've performed on, on mushrooms. I've performed uh, really high on hash or smoking it. Or like I've done a, you know, like a dab and then performed, which was... I wouldn't recommend. I think that you have to you have to go beyond that to know what it is because I want to reach the edge, whether I'm straight or whether it's cannabis. I want I want to 
find that edge because there, when you get to the edge of where reality essentially is forming, you know, I like to use the video game analogy. If you're moving at a, at a slow pace, the processor can create the environment that you're moving towards. So there's always a buffer environment in front of you that looks like, oh, I'm in a cityscape. I can see the streets ahead. But if you get a little bit too fast or you get ahead too quickly, you can start to see the computer actually rendering the graphics mm -hmm. as you're approaching them. And so I try to get to that point. I try to get there or even past that so you're on the bleeding edge of where reality is just starting to form in the chaos layer. And so in that, in that space, anything is possible and you're helping to shift and shape reality as it's coming in. So for a, sh for a show of mine, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm channeling the possibilities of what can be and kind of structuring it based off of the energy of the whole situation, the room or what the audience is reacting off of. And that's how I'm generating the reality. With cannabis, it's really, uh, it puts me in a state sometimes where it's so unstable, I really have to just let go and allow what's happening to come in and me to craft it in the way that I do. So many people are so uncomfortable in that space. Yeah. Um, so what are the rewards of going there? What makes it worth that, you know, potential discomfort? I think the idea of being able to remain calm in intense situations is kind of the secret. It's a skill that you can learn camping, you know, going out in the middle of a forest and not knowing what's going on or like white river rafting or, you know, there are many ways of doing this. To me, like, like I say, resistance training, it's like when I see, when you see athletes pulling sleds, you know, or someone running in water with really baggy clothing, that's what I view cannabis is at sometimes. It doesn't, it's not always that, but that's what it's like to me. It's like, well, I could either go, oh my God, I'm so high right now, or just be like, you know what, shut the fuck up and focus and and then use the fact that your brain is so free but anchor yourself within yourself so that you can harness the potential energy you know the instability is what gives you the ability to have actual control because control is giving up control surfing is a perfect analogy because you're just you don't, you're not controlling the waves you're not you're not controlling the ocean you're in partnership with chaos you have a little board you're a human you're listening to your, your intuition and you're using your experience to kind of navigate the chaos that's coming at you that you, have, you don't have any idea what's going to happen at all. You're just surfing with it. So I think it's a good thing for people to experience. When people tell me that they have a really bad edibles experience, everybody does. I don't do edibles, man. I had this really bad experience. I'm like, well, try it again. Like, like <laughs> it doesn't mean to stop. It's mm -hmm. like, it just means that you had too much. So find something that gives you a, a, an exact dosage. And that's kind of the thing I'm fighting for with, with, with cannabis usage. It's I, I want adult portions that are scientifically measured out, all the chemical components. That's what I want to, I want, I want to encourage people to use, to microdose with THC. It doesn't have to be your afternoon, you know? Mm -hmm. It can be just a, a light enhancement, mood enhancement, um, that allows you to kind of get a different angle on what you're coming at. And there's a group called the Zendo Project that basically they go to festivals and they work with people who've had too much psychedelics and instead of going to uh. law enforcement or going even to the regular medics who aren't trained for that, um, there's a tent right next door and they try to help people through those experiences and what they say, um, and I think it might resonate with what you were talking about, is don't call it a bad trip call it a difficult experience, mm. and then realize some of the most difficult experiences in life can be the most rewarding. Yes. Um, oh, I love that. That makes me really happy. <laughs>
That's good. Yeah, reframing. That's what, that's what, that's what, you know, doing any drug or having any experience or medicine, however you want to call it, but like cannabis is a great opportunity to shift your, it's a, it's a perspective shifter. So if you can shift your perspective within an experience whilst on something like this, uh, or cannabis, I mean, that's the biggest, that's amazing. Cause you take, you take it back. You take the, the only thing that you have control over really that, that we all have control over is our our perception and our perspective. So being able to reframe something is really important, especially when you feel like you're being overwhelmed. But if you have people around you reminding you of like, no, 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 it's just this. So try it this way. Like, oh, 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 oh. And then you can work through it. Then you can actually take advantage of that opportunity instead of like, oh, I can't wait till it's over. I can't wait till it's mm -hmm. over. So you, you titled your first EP Pot Cookies. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're obviously, um, you know, very out front and outspoken about cannabis in your life. Was that a difficult decision to make initially? No, no, I, I didn't really give a fuck because it, because it's what I enjoyed doing and I saw nothing wrong with it. And, uh, you know, if that's the only thing I'm doing, it's like, I don't really drink. Really the only thing that I do is cannabis mm -hmm. on a rare occasion. I'll do mushrooms or something like that. So it was just a part of my life and I felt like it was something beneficial to myself, but also something that I was proud to tell other people about and educate about. So yeah, I never really thought about it because if you start out being who you are, then you can remain who you are throughout your entire existence. Is there a civil disobedience aspect to being open about that at certain times you don't follow the law around marijuana? Well, you know, it's like I, so smoking, smoking weed, you know, starting when I was like probably 16 or something like that. I've always, it's always felt kind of criminal, you know, to a certain degree. And it felt more like, like, how can we get away with this safely? It was the attitude. So I don't know if it's civil disobedience. It's more like, I think of it as efficiency. It's like if, if, a, law, if a law states that a plant that grows out of the ground or a, a fungus that grows out of the ground is illegal, it doesn't make any sense to me. I guess it's disobedient in that I'm like, like, fuck you guys. Like, like I, 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 don't, I don't agree with that because if it grows naturally, if it's refined, it's one thing. If, it just, if I'm walking through a forest and I see and I recognize and I know what a blue ringer looks like and I pick a blue ringer and eat it, how is that illegal? How's it ever been illegal? Um, if a plant is growing out of the ground and I, and I take, even if I took, I've taken fresh marijuana and just started chewing on it immediately and I've gotten high and I know people are like, no, you can't get high, you have to heat it up or whatever, but I've still gotten high from it. So to me, it's like, it's all about nature and, um, and understanding what we have and the bounty that we have in the world and recognizing what is just silly human rules and what is your natural right as a, as a living being. And going back to when you said you were a teenager when you tried it for the first time, was was there a profound recognition around that, or was did it take a while to really create that relationship with cannabis? I mean, it hit me like a freight train when I when the first time I got high because I tried getting high a couple times prior to that and it didn't work. So when it happened, it was a very like profound experience. I mean, I was also happened to be sitting on a bed with a circle of my friends from high school in Great Falls, Montana, with a, um, a Costa, Rican, Costa Rican exchange student named Ilsa, 
who was totally beautiful and amazing, and then a good friend of mine next to me. So like when I got high, I was like, holy crap, and she was there for me, and then we kind of like had this amazing experience. And, and so that was great. I, I loved that shift. It was really intense. It was really intense. So I liked THC the moment I got high. Like I knew that it was useful. It just kind of was pretty automatic. <laughs> cool. So I got a compliment. I really enjoy your, uh, your weed socks. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the Huff. Yeah, that company Huff. Yeah, they make really cool stuff. They, they just dumped a bunch of socks on me and I loved it. I just love the socks. They're great. They, they last a long time. They're cool and I, yeah and i love i love having the you know the weed logo like, like sometimes people don't notice some people do it's funny who notices and who doesn't oh i don't want to bring it too far down but um uh, like in at, at ferguson when michael brown was killed yeah he was wearing so- those socks huff socks really and when you go into the police reports one of the things that they tried to establish in the investigations afterwards was we were very suspicious of this person because he had marijuana socks on. Interesting. I've and thought about that. Have you been arrested? Have you been on the other side of that war on drugs at all? I have not. Um, I've had some. I've had some friends that got busted like smoking in a doorway, like in New York, like a, pa- a cop passing by. And took them to jail. I mean, they just like stayed in jail for like two hours, a holding cell or whatever, for, for two hours, and they got a ticket. But no, I've been lucky uh, not to. But I've also been like pretty careful about it. So I still have that programming a little bit. So for smoking, I'm always like, hey, let's go to this alley. They're like, you know, it's like people do this all the time, and it's like one o'clock in the morning, and there's no one around. Yeah, but let's, let's duck into this. And now it's almost like a form of romanticism. It's like, I want, I want to get that feeling of like, oh, we're getting away with something back. I don't know. You think there'll be the nostalgia like we have for, for uh, speakeasies? Yeah. And- yeah, totally. It's like a place where it feels illegal. <laughs> like, like, get that feeling back. Remember when weed was like totally socially unacceptable or legally unacceptable? Yeah. Perhaps, I don't know, heirloom artisan, real grounded weed, retro weed experience. We'll tell our grandkids. Yeah, totally. Back in our day, we used to be afraid for our lives just smoking that plant. Like, That's impossible, Grandpa. Grandpa's that, losing uh, it. Yeah, Grandpa, you're crazy. There's no way. Why would they? It's just a plant. <laughs> That's what we said. <laughs> you know, one of the things that has been fascinating for me is to watch the acceptance and understanding of medical marijuana over even the last five years we you know in in the mainstream media and in society the sanjay gupta special oh yeah was right. huge it's it all that information was out there but simply having somebody who's the chief medical correspondent at cnn mm-hmm. say it in that way really pushed that forward and one of my hopes is that in the next five years we can really look at cannabis and sort of wellness and creativity enhancement Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the primary studies that have sort of started to look at this was about hyperpriming which Mm -hmm. is the idea of taking two seemingly unconnected thoughts in the mind and finding a way to connect them Mm. Um, and they showed through this study that uh, cannabis greatly accelerates hyperpriming and I'm Mm. wondering if that sort of um, meets with your experience, if that's something that you use it for. Oh, absolutely. I think there is a kind of like a hyper-organizational aspect to THC. It puts you in a, it's an opportunistic state where 
uh, you can seemingly connect divergent thoughts because everything is connected. Everything is fractally connected to everything. So finding that connection is always a fun thing for me. In a way, it increases the joy of life because you realize like there is no such thing as anything that's boring. Boring doesn't exist. It's just what you're not seeing. I think that THC will, people will realize like incredible new landscapes and ways of thinking about what THC is. That's, that's exciting to me. I just want people to stop thinking about things immediately in a certain way because, and to, to not to fault anybody or to judge anybody, that's how you grow up. You grow up like Cheech and Chong, you know, it's like, oh, man, he, he, you know, it's like, there's this thick stigma. I get it. I get it. And, and it's real. But now I think we're in an age where we're able to like take things to a new level incorporating it with virtual reality, you know, simulating visual effects that work in tandem with THC dosages, things of this nature. There's all sorts of great stuff on the horizon for humankind, I think, with THC. And how do you, you mentioned Cheech and Chong, which is sort mm-hmm. of the, uh, the OG of uh, stoner comedy, and, mm-hmm. at, at least in our modern take yeah. on it. Um, yeah. 10,000 years, people have been using cannabis, and I'm sure there's been humor around it. Yes. Uh, you know, that was before we were writing things down. I'm sure there were pot jokes. But yes, um, how do you see that evolving now as a genre and as, as an approach to comedy as society changes? How does comedy's reflection of, of cannabis change? It's like you get tired of certain jokes. Like, you know, if, like, for instance, I, I am a black man, but when I go on stage, I'm not talking about being black all the time because, you know what? People have done a way better job as a, in comedy talking about the black experience or why black is different than white and so forth. But like, because it, it gets old after a while because you're like, okay, we know that. Now what? So I think same thing with, with pot. It's like you can go up and talk about, hey, man, like whenever comedians talk about stoners like they're at a disadvantage, I don't like that. Cause, mm-hmm. Because to me, I'm like, no, that's not true. It's like someone who's conscious when they're high is in a far better state than most people who are inundated with media all day long and like unable to make decisions anymore because they live in a hyper-westernized, super-decision consumer-based society. So so what I like to hear is I like pushing drugs in a a way, drugs, quote-unquote, in a way that like shows why it's, it's actually important to use them. And not only that, but talk about very large concepts. Uh, you know, the, the future of science, uh, uh, why it's important to remain conscious because of upcoming new, uh, I don't know, telepresence robot technology or whatever, and utilizing that state to kind of understand the non-locality of the mind and that it's not necessarily localized within your body, that it exists in all, all kinds of places. So it's about creating awareness. So to me, I kind of make fun of people. They're like, I took too much when I'm like, oh, did you? <laughs> Did you take too much? You know, you can't do it no more. You know, you know, like, like I, I, just, I love it. I love making fun of people because it's because it's like, just try it again. I promise. Like, if if you if you hang out with me one night, I promise you, I'll find the right dose, the right strain, and you'll feel great and subtle and not like you've been hit with a sledgehammer. Like, I, I love getting people. I love my friends. who are like, no, 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 and I'm like, no, trust me. And then they. Try it, and they're like, "Oh, actually, that was really nice." I'm like, "Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Not this other shit. It's that. That's the point." 
It sounds like your favorite stoner show might be like Cosmos with uh, Carl Sagan. Yes, yeah, totally, man. If I had a hyperscience show that also talked about the benefits of THC, I mean, it'd be amazing. Almost all the great thinkers have all experimented with psychotropics and psychedelics. It's or dissociatives. Those those particular three things are very very strongly associated with being able to defrag the mind and see fresh perspectives. Not to rely on it, but as a tool to change perspective. And you can get rid of those, you can never do them again, but they are tools of awareness. And that's, to me, what, what cannabis is. Cool. What, what are some of your other favorite, you know, it doesn't have to be the Cheech and Chong right on the nose <laughs> uh, stoner comedy, but if you're in that state and you're looking to unwind, uh, what oh, are yeah. some of your favorites? Angie Tribeca is really great to watch. It's like... Zucker, Zucker Brother movies like uh, Airplane on steroids. Mm-hmm. Monty Python's great. Uh, you could watch Almost Famous. <laughs> you could also watch uh, The Wrong Guy, but it's a very little known uh, movie from uh, uh, one of the Kids in the Hall guys. Oh, Dave Foley. It's Dave Foley's movie. It's amazing. Pretty good movie. It's really intense, but it's really good as It Follows because it's so atmospheric. It's so just like. And things just take forever, and so it's it's you just kind of mm-hmm. sink into that atmosphere. It's really kind of incredible, and it's not so scary that it's it's not like the Baba Duck. Like the Baba Duck is not a good thing to be stoned to watch. It's not good at all because every shadow in your house you're going to think is mm-hmm. the Baba Duck, and don't do that to yourself. But I, I would I would say those things or Rick and Morty. There you go. I think maybe we need like the equivalent of NC seven, like Stoner Safe. Yeah, Stoner. Disrecommended. Yeah, yeah, disrecommended. Yeah, <laughs> you can totally. still do it. Yeah. We're not pushing. Yeah, only for like high level, like Black Diamond. <laughs> Black Diamond level. It's like Apocalypse Now, Black yeah, Diamond yeah. level. <laughs> and I want to talk about your music as well. Like you were focused on music before comedy or was it always something you were, were developing together? I'd say they're, they're kind of equal. I studied music longer than comedy. I didn't really study comedy necessarily, but I loved comedy and when I was in elementary school, I was a class clown all the time. And as soon as drama was available, I joined drama because I wanted to be in comedies. And then I started improvising almost immediately, like you know, starting around 11 or 12. I just loved making up stuff and not, not writing anything down. And so it started then. Comedy is just like kind of in and out. Definitely music was more consistent up until about age 20, well, age 30. And I moved to New York when I was 31. And in that case, I did made a hard shift to comedy at that point to kind of catch up with the experience mm. that I had with music. I think for the sake of parody, we should do three albums that you really like to listen to when you're high. Oh, yeah. Or that benefit from that or enhanced by that uh, mind state. Wow. I would say um, Tram, Heavy Dark Frame is a really good album to listen to. I just love Tram so much. It's a really good languid kind of kind of emo slow core kind of uh, acoustic but i just call it good music it's just really good music i would listen to that anything by john tahada is an la electronic techno guy minimal techno guy amazing music to listen to just so many like so much sound design going on so like when you're in that state especially headphones nice pair of headphones nice preamp it's just the best it's really like it's a luxury you feel like oh i'm so lucky to be able to listen to this you know this is going to sound weird but uh brandy's first record (laughs) 
<laughs> what did she lose between the first record and the second one? Record? I mean, the second one was good. I think that was the second one, Moonlight, or that was the third one. But uh, you know, it's like I wanna be down. I wanna be down with you, and then we die. I would like to get to it the kind of boy you be down for. Uh, just, it's the production of it. It was like that 90s, mid 90s uh, production style that was so cool. It was like very simple, very simple. I could do without the interstitial, like little skits that they do. But the songs were like the songs were great, and and come to mention it, uh, Jamiroquai, "Emergency on Planet Earth," is a great record to listen to. Stones also also traveling without moving as well, yeah. And anything, obviously, the classics: Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. uh, Led Zeppelin. I mean, The Who, mm-hmm. uh, Strawberry Alarm Clock, whatever. It's like uh, mm-hmm. that that that's kind of I don't count that because it's like automatic. Um, and Bauhaus, Bauhaus, very good to listen to. Stone. They've already got the stamp on them, you're saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pink yeah. Floyd already pre Yeah, it's kind of like pre-done. Like, you know, even though they claim that they weren't really big in the LSD and stuff like that, whatever. But, like, it's just kind of, it's part of the, the thing. So it's kind of auto. That's like what you get with when you download the app of cannabis. It comes with these apps, these in already included apps. And that would be Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, um, name it, Joni Mitchell, whatever, all that stuff. And then uh, how's, your, how's your experience been with the Late Late Show? Terrible. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it to any band leader. No, um, it's been great. It's been really great. They've been really awesome. You know, I was a little worried. I think they were a little worried, too, in the beginning. Like, just like, what's this guy going to do? You know, he likes to improvise. And, you know, and I made sure that they knew that. I kept telling them. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to improvise a lot, probably almost all the time. So I hope you're okay with that. But at the same time, like... I explained what it was, and, and, and so it's just nice that we've built this in a really nice rapport of trust. Yeah, it's cool. They treat me with a lot of respect. They treat the band with respect. It's a good vibe. Like, I really, it's, it, every time I go to work, I feel like I'm cheating somehow. Like, I feel like, oh, I, I cut a corner that I wasn't supposed to. Somehow I'm here. Like, so, which is kind of a cool feeling to have. Like, like oh, I really, I actually like it here. Like, as opposed to, oh, this is a job I have to come to all the time. Oh, well, you know, I guess this is what you do. You know, like, I would never want to have that feeling. It's a terrible feeling. And then, like, going back to uh, at least Doc Severinsen and The Tonight Show, it seems like talk show band leader weed jokes are a trope. I, yeah. I saw you've, you've hit that. As, as, are you cognizant of that? I mean, I mean, now that you mention it, yeah. I mean, I mean no. I mean, kind of. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see a lot. I didn't watch a lot of talk shows coming up, but I definitely remember like Paul Schaefer just being like, "Yeah, all right, man." You know, with like his yeah. dark glasses and stuff, and you're like, "He, he's a musician. Musicians are always high." You know, like whatever that stereotype is, um, which I don't mind. I don't mind. Like they're always, anytime there's a weed reference, they always reference me, and I'm like, "Yeah, all right," <laughs> because it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, because I can remember uh, Johnny Carson doing that. Leno would do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because so, it, it gives you, it's like they get to include that element in the show, but they're not directly responsible mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. It's funny. And to me, it's kind of clownish, the association. I'm just like, yeah, that's right. Smoking all the time. Big fat noobs. Big noob smoker. Like, uh. And are you guys aware of that percentage of your audience? You know, it's a late night show. Like, yeah. Is that something that comes up when you're 
when you're conceiving the shows or is it just a natural part of the comedy? I'm always thinking about that. Like when we're going to break or coming back from break, I'm always like slipping in like little like things for them, for people if they're mm -hmm. paying attention because most people won't be. So the music's coming back in and, and I'm like, someone has stolen your mouse. Mm -hmm. And then that's the end of the song and they're like, welcome back, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so if you're listening, you're watching and you're listening, you will hear these artifacts uh, here and there. My thing is to just, I'm just sneaking in stuff as much as I can. That's awesome. I was, I was, I won't say the show, but I was talking to somebody the other day who works on a kid's show, but has a, a, a pod audience that also oh, appreciates it. And yeah. I said, you know, do they talk about it? Do they? And he said, well, we call it our dorm room audience. Oh, <laughs> and, and he said, even the suits, you know, make sure the dorm room audience is going to be engaged in this episode. You yeah. know, not enough for the dorm room audience. Oh, that's and interesting. I, well, that that's a that's a big value because. The, the, the thing is, if that's part of your audience, you know that there is a very high level of authenticity and sincerity to it. Mm -hmm. That's really kind of what it represents because people who are high or people who appreciate things that kind of remind them of being high, their their bullshit detectors are very, very sensitive. They're not going to, they can see when someone's trying to do something that appeals to them as opposed to trusting that whoever's making this knows what the fuck mm -hmm. they're talking about. Um, so I would see it as, it's kind of cool that it is an important factor it, because it, it's the generation of like, it's where creativity comes from. And being in, associated to that means that there's a certain amount of edge, I guess you could call it, but it's more like groundedness, you know? So authenticity. Those are the things that I always said like five years ago. I was like, the new sincerity, man. Like the sincerity, authenticity are going to be the most valuable things as time moves on and more information. We have access to more and more and more information uh, because that's the thing that keeps you sane, you know? Do you ever get pitched like really awful stoner comedies? I tend to get cast as like the stoner guy or whatever, which sometimes I'm like, oh, that's cool. And other times I'm like, meh, you know, like I think it's, too on the nose, too obvious. Um, but not a lot, actually. Not, not, not that much. I just love that. I, what I love is people think like, "Oh, I know what you are. You're a, you're a guy that does beatboxing stuff and uh, talks about weed or whatever." Like one mm -hmm. one perception. I'm like, I'm I'm about one fifty second. That yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm capable of way way more than that. <laughs> you said one fifty second. So yeah. so one week a year, all you do is smoke weed and beatbox, and then no, it's... no, just the constant ratio, <laughs> no, or or that. Yeah, yeah, either one. I'll take either one. If it gets down to the last week of the year and you yeah. haven't smoked weed or beatbox, you... yeah, totally. Got to do that, guys, just to keep that perception up. Uh, yeah, but you know, whatever. It's it's. I understand why people think that, of course. But uh, but I kind of love that it's my little secret, like. That's not, that's not all I am, but keep thinking that so I can surprise you. Cool. Well, why don't we finish just talking about your special? I understand it's uh, beatboxing and weed smoking. It's all, all it is is beat weeding. Um, <laughs> so I do a lot of beat weeds and um, yeah, it's cool. And a lot of cannabis stuff and I talk about how everything I'm wearing is made from cannabis and, um, and then there's just a long line of sponsors that I go through, you know. Kiva, uh, Jumbo, like I just, I just run down the whole line of every single spot. And that's all it is. It's a big, huge commercial for the <laughs> cannabis industry. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, you're right. Oh, and also um, beatboxing. 
a lot of just people just with baseball bats and just like all these like cardboard boxes set up and just like <laughs> just like kicking the shit out of boxes. It's awesome. Uh, man, well, would you play us out with a little beatbox? Yeah, sure. Uh, God, where did I put? Uh, I guess yeah. So no, I'm gonna use the other technique. Well, hold, hold on. Okay, okay, got it. No, no cotton mouth, guys. Here we yeah. go. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. yeah, my pleasure. So, so, so cool. I had a good time. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You could put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Bean and Stock, aka Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.